The Baptist and the Buddhist, identical twin brothers with two vastly different faiths. Join them as they explore their respective religions and how they differ and how they relate. Same DNA, different religions. Hey everyone. Hey everybody. This is the... Hey. <laughs> hey everybody. This is the Baptist and the Buddhist with Mark and Brian. And you are listening to a brand new episode, episode three of season three. And it just so happens to be March 3rd. Just kidding. Um. (laughs) (laughs) That really threw me off. Like, it's like mid-March. Yeah, and you probably guys, you guys probably are not hearing this until the end of April. Because this is a very special episode that we've been saving for years for you guys and we finally hit the perfect spot for you and it's the arbor day holiday special happy arbor day i baked a cake oh, what no. oh my <laughs> i'm sparkling I didn't actually water bake a cake. it's just a it's just a store-bought cake i'm oh, sorry guys man celebratory yes how many trees did you plant today <laughs> oh man so guys today we're going to be talking about a very holiday dear to all of us you and me and everyone and that's going to be talking about trees mainly that's not a holiday that's just a thing trees um there are tree holidays out there though yes there are this is one of them yeah yeah arbor day i'm like what holiday oh yeah it's arbor day Oh man! Oh, I got a good point, a, a good sub point now that you just reminded me of. I'm gonna add that into my thing about trees. Oh man, um, I should have done more research for that one. But so, tree. What are trees? <laughs> <laughs> trees. If you guys are able to understand what we are talking about, you should know what trees are. Unless you're, like, from a desert that, like, barely has any trees and, like, you call them something else. Like, oh, yeah, those standing bushes or something. Um, But these trees are very important because they are trees. And they, you know, they do a lot of things for us. They create oxygen. They take in our carbon dioxide. They, They give us shade and structure. And lumber and all this other material they, that we use trees for. They offer, they offer habitats for animals. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and they offer, you know, their leaves in the fall are also habitats for important animals. Guys, don't don't rake your leaves up in plastic bags. Yeah, the moths <laughs> out there they overwinter and, and and pupate in the leaves. Same with like other. Um, Insects that do that kind of stuff, like glowworms and stuff, too. Fireflies. And small mammals. And small mammals, too, yeah. Um, I'm a huge moth enthusiast, so, like, look through your leaves and find the big cocoons. They could, there could be giant silk moths in there. The, uh, not silk moths, but, like, the, the giant silk moths, which are usually, like, the uh, Promethea or Polyphemus or the... Um, the uh Cecropia in my region anyways but the giant you ones. guys i bet you guys didn't realize you'd learn about moths today yeah that's our next episode moths 
there are some biblical references about moths. They're not very encouraging about moths, but then they don't eat your clothes, guys. There, there are very specific larvae of caterpillars um, that will chew organic material on clothes, but moths themselves, the ones that fly, they don't eat anything, so they can't chew your clothes. So, like, when you see in cartoons when moths chew a sweater to bits, that's so fake, like the Grinch. No, that doesn't happen. When he releases the moths and it chews up the sweater. Jim Carrey version, anyways. But I'm ra- I'm rambling on for no reason about moths. <laughs> we're not talking about moths. We're talking about trees. We are on minute two of moths. <laughs> <laughs> that has been your moth minute by Mark. <laughs> so trees oh man what like trees. for some reason trees are important in a lot of uh in a lot of religions religions it oh. seems like i could just like think of a few but like even christianity you see right off the bat trees there's um, even a tree holiday in judaism hmm. um that i think happened recently to to Bishvat. and it's i'm not familiar with that but it's like a tree new year holiday or something um, that's the, literally the extent of my knowledge on that. Yeah. Yep. But see, there are tree holidays out there of religious significance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, even with holidays there in Christianity, you see the Christmas tree, that's a tree. And usually that's some kind of evergreen pine, probably not cedar, but some kind of pine or evergreen tree that you'll see that you put, you cut down, you put in your home. And hopefully it doesn't get dried out um, and caught on fire. But um, you see, I mean, that's not really a biblical thing. Like, it's not in the Bible that you decorate a tree in your home. Um, it's It started way back, like, with the Roman Catholics and everything and the traditions that they were setting setting up. And there's debate on whether that's, like, evil or bad or whatever. It's really not. But if you contort scripture, it might be. But... Um, where does the tree come from? What came first, the seed or the tree or the? <laughs> I, I I mean that's not really relevant. But when I looked in the Bible, the tree first shows up in Genesis one, and God created the trees on day three in the seven in the six day creation um, progression. You could say day tree. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, he brings, he, in in verse 12, he says, And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and a tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself, whose seed was in itself. So the seed is in the fruit. After his kind, and God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the third day. So he created the trees on the third day. Um, and the so that's like the starting of the origin of trees. Um, it's so it sounds like an amazing, uh, enthralling chapter title, but so, um, when it comes to the Bible and trees, like, what do you think about? Like, what's the first thing that comes to your mind, Brian? Tree of knowledge and 
of good and evil and yeah. the tree of life. Yeah, exactly. And that's like the first thing that my mind came about when you're like, hey, I have this great idea, Arbor Day. Oh, wait, I think that was my idea or something like that. But <laughs> <laughs> I think it was your idea to tie it to Arbor Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you came up with the idea of trees. And I'm like, what? And then I'm like, Arbor Day? Um, yeah, the two... Um, the two iconic trees in the Bible. There's the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Um, and I have some scripture for that um, just to look at exactly what the Bible says about these trees. Um, let's see. So in Genesis 2, 9, he talks about, it says... And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and a tree of knowledge of good and evil. So in in the Bible, he says, actually, yeah, I'll just skip down to like verse uh, 16. It says, and the Lord God commanded the man, which was Adam, saying of every tree of the garden thou may, mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So, like, he sets these these choices for man to make. Okay, you can eat whatever tree you want. You know, he gives them plenty of trees. I think uh, the Old Testament talks about, like, the Garden of Eden having, like, cedars of Lebanon. They call them, like, it's like an iconic tree in the Bible. Um, and just tons of fruitful trees and good things to eat. And then the one specific tree, he says, don't eat from this. And that was, that was kind of like the litmus test of like, okay, man, you have free will. Are you going to obey me or not? And, uh, there's, there's a story behind these trees or going forward with these trees. And it's, you know, the very basis of the, the moral worldview of Judaism and Christianity is the, these two trees, specifically the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's almost like the, uh, the classic marshmallow test. <clears throat> you leave a kid in a room with a marshmallow and you say, do not touch this. Like you can eat it. But if I come, like, when, when I come back and you haven't eaten it, you'll get two marshmallows. And there's, like, that self-control, that impulse control. <laughs> exactly. And then, yeah, that's kind of like a, a reiteration of this original test. <laughs> and this on a small scale. Um, and so, like, what what is the story that happens? We We see it in... Um, in Genesis three, I think I didn't even write down the, the, uh, references here, but in verse one, it says it, it introduces this character. It says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, "Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. 
And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the tree of the fruit thereof and did eat it, and also gave unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And it goes, you know, they and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? So, you see the story of the serpent, which Revelation uh, describes as that old serpent, which is Satan, uh, and, or the devil. And uh, he plants these questions into mankind's mind saying hey did he say not to eat any of these trees and eve was like no he said we could eat these trees but not this one and she even twists god's word a little bit there saying well uh he said not to eat or touch this one he never said not to touch it but for some reason she's like hey don't touch it maybe like she made it in her mind like hey we should probably just not touch this or maybe adam said that like hey let's just not touch it okay and then the serpent questioned added some doubt saying well you shouldn't yeah you you're not gonna die it's like oh really why not and then he goes hey yeah you're gonna be as gods knowing good and evil like you're gonna be wise as verse six talks about they're gonna it'll give them wisdom it's like oh okay That, that might be cool I'm, I might like that. So, like, the, this doubt is planted in mankind's mind and their will. And they're like, okay, you know what? God said not to eat it, but it seems like this is probably going to be a good idea for me. Like, I'm, I want I want to be like gods and, like, be wise and know good and evil. So they did it anyways. So what was this tree? Everyone speculates what this fruit is. Like, oh no, we got to figure out what fruit it is. Not that it's important, but some people think it's important, I guess. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the classic version is is an apple. You know, there are songs that talk about, like, the woman took the apple and, like, you know, don't eat the apple. Um, and you even see that in, like, classic literature or movies where like it's an apple that's evil or like that causes harm or whatever no one knows um there's some speculation that it was some kind of like strange hybrid fruit i I see some like christian institutions that talk about this kind of stuff like make artistic renditions of like a weird fruit like a dragon fruit slash pear slash pomegranate or something like that's not really that necessary but (laughs) i uh, I remember um i think it was at like visiting your church once and they were the speaker was saying like you know just kind of 
talking about this same idea of oh well probably wasn't an apple it was this or this and they're like you know most likely it was probably a tomato and i'm like tomatoes don't grow on trees though (laughs) well there's a caveat to that that i can talk to but i don't know why in the world would they say tomato I, i don't know i mean maybe they're just one of those tomato is a fruit zealots that like it is a fruit (laughs) <laughs> and that's why it, it causes is, so much debate now because that's the forbidden fruit. It is a fruit. <laughs> Categorically, it's I know. A fruit. I know it is a fruit. I, I, I am with there. I am with you on that. Okay, calm. We almost actually got heated on Baptist. You know, Buddhist. maybe that <laughs> is what we should take to modern day debate. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, yeah. and there's some people that like. No, it's definitely a fig because of the fig leaves they use to cover themselves. It's definitely a fig. It has to be a fig. Or like it's a pomegranate because the pomegranate in Judaism and in the Old Testament represents the law of God. And like there are some that say like every pomegranate has exactly the same amount of laws that are in Levitical law. I've never counted pomegranate seeds, so I don't know how accurate that is. But (laughs) But even on the temple, God had them inscribe images of pomegranates along with many other imagery, um, but he specifically had the pomegranates imaged on the temple for the law, like to signify the law. Um, But I I was taught that the fruit could have most likely been a grape. And it's like, what? They don't grow on trees? But there is... Uh biblical reasoning for that because the bible does call and this also uh well i'll i'll tell i'll say this in a second um the ezekiel describes grape vines as a vine tree so it's a type of tree according to the bible according to god's logic but also i've seen people especially like in the Middle East, like they will call those vine trees. Like, hey, grab me some leaves from the vine tree. I need some for like stuffed grape leaves. Like I've I've just like random videos I've stumbled across. It's like, oh, they call that a vine tree over there. That's interesting. Like they'll say like, get get me the some leaves from the vine tree. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So it could be tomato because they grow on vines. You could consider it a vine tree. (laughs) (laughs) and there's like there's other like reasoning behind why people would say they were grapes in the garden of eden because grapes usually will uh picture like especially grape juice or wine will picture blood um and wine also they say pictures the holy spirit as well so you could you could kind of describe it either way with like, oh yeah, the the grapes signify the 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 fallen blood of the tainted blood of mankind, and that's why it. That, I don't know. That, that that's what they say, and you know, uh, it's up for debate. There's no way to know what exactly the fruit was. I would be interested to see what the fruit of the tree of life would be. And there are verses about that, and I'm going to get to that in a little bit. Because um, they had all bunch of 
types of trees too like they didn't eat just eat from the tree of life they also ate from other trees that were good for food um the bible talks about let's see what kind of trees the bible talks about they talked about you know pomegranates figs they talk about almonds apples um what else do they talk about over there? Obviously, like grapes, olives. The olive tree is a big one, in uh, especially in like New Testament. Old Testament talks about olive oil and olives and everything too. But uh, you see a big emphasis on olive trees. They used olive oil in their anointing. You know, the first pressing, the virgin pressing is always the clearest and the cleanest to use for food. And then you use the last pressing for like your lamp fuel and everything. I, I'm a huge olive oil fan. I love olive oil. It's so good. Um, I have a, when I went to Israel, I was in Capernaum and there were, uh, olive trees everywhere in Capernaum or Capernaum, whichever, like uh, people uh, pronounce it differently, but I got a little olive branch. It's, I have it locked away in a little jar, but I took it's a little olive twig. I took it off of one of the trees um, from Capernaum, which is which is like Jesus's hometown, uh, where he grew up basically, and he lived and called home. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, <clears throat> so olive olive trees have a significance, um, especially when you look at like the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus had his defining moment in the in the the garden prayer where he's praying to the father like right before he gets arrested and the disciples are sleeping he's he's praying you know if it be your will let this cut pass from me like hey if we if there's any way we can get out of this and i don't have to suffer let it like so be it but not, it's not my will, like not the son's will in doing this, but it's the it's the father's will in how this has to play out. So he's like, "Thy will be done," and he was gar he was uh praying within that garden, and it was like a olive tree grove, um, and that's where he sweat his uh his blood sweat drops, and then he, ultimately he was arrested by the Romans in that garden, but. Uh, you could still go there. They have garden uh, tenders that tend to the, the trees. And those trees, olive trees, are very unique um, because they will keep growing. And, like, when one generation of the tree dies, the other generation, like, grows up in that tree. And so when you go over to Israel, there's, like, a lot of really old trees in the garden of gethsemane because they try to preserve it so they say some of these trees are like two thousand years old like these are the trees that jesus would have been praying among i don't know how accurate that is but they did look really old and you know there's they're like the thick like dead trees with the live trees coming up out of them it was pretty cool you couldn't walk through them because they had the, them gated off um apparently a lot of the like a lot of nuns would take olive branches off of them to take back home for whatever significance they use olive branches for um or just as a keepsake but uh yeah olive trees 
I mean, olives are a staple. I mean, they're, they're every, they were, they were, uh, worth a lot too. Um, olive oil was basically money. It was worth a lot. Yeah. Olives are really good. I like olives. Mm-hmm. All of olives. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we had up in Nazareth, they had a fresh pressing of olive oil and like they sold them in the, in their bottles and they did like the classic stone mill pressing. That was the best olive oil I've ever had in my life. It was so good. <laughs> and for like 30 shekels, I think it was for like the giant, a giant jug. It was really good. So there's wow. that, there's olive trees. Maybe the forbidden fruit was an olive of some sort. You never know. I mean, I don't think you really eat olives right off the tree. You press them for their oil or you brine them. But maybe that's why you, they, you, they shouldn't have eaten them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, oh man, there's a lot about trees that... That I kind of... I grew up under the teaching of different trees. Like, have certain meanings. Like... Um, oh, there's also a date tree, which, man, fresh dates are so amazing. Um, hmm. we were in Betxian or something like that, where there's an ancient Roman city that was like unearthed and right in the parking lot, there were random pomegranate trees. So I grabbed one and ate one. It was good. <laughs> I don't think they talked about mangoes, but there were mango groves in Israel, too. Interesting. Yeah. I have some notes where, like, the vine tree, the grape, the grapevine stood for, like the, like, the national Israel. I don't know exactly what that meant, but... Um, because then there was the fig tree was to signify, like, the religion of Israel, like, the Jewish religion of Israel. Um... Like their identity, it was like the Isra- Israeli identity. Like the the vine tree would be their identity nationally, and fig tree in the Bible signified their religious identity. Hmm. Um, which kind of explains one thing. When you go to uh, Matthew twenty one, he talks about a fig tree, and this was uh, like one of the other like more famous trees that I thought of when it came to the Bible was the cursed fig tree. Um, and the, the fig tree, uh, I'll just read the, the passage. Um, now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered, we talked about Jesus. And when he saw a fig tree in his way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only and said unto it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how soon is the fig tree withered away? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, if, if ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thy, thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all these things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. So like the, the, uh, the I mean, Jesus used that opportunity to teach his disciples, like, the power they they would have through him 
<clears throat> which included cursing fig trees and just withering it, like it withering away in front of them, like, whoa, what in the world? And uh, saying like, yeah, you could do this to mountains with faith. And you know, the mustard seed, Jesus later talks about um, like the faith, the size of a mustard seed would move mountains. And a lot of people see that as like a, wow, that's so moving. And like, I have faith. Um, like they see it as motivational, which is, which it is, but I think there are practical, like literal applications to his disciples, like in future events to come because like the earth is going to be leveled and, uh, Jerusalem or Mount Moriah or whatever you want to call it. Mount Zion is going to be elevated above all other cities and mountains and I, th and I think the disciples will have a part to play in that. The, his apostles will have a part to play saying, yeah, remove the mountain into the, the water. So it's kind of a marvelous thing um, as he, as they marveled at it. They was like, yeah, you can do this too, guys. Um, I wanted to go back real quick to the the tree of life because there's some interesting stuff about the tree of life which i was gonna look at something here too because the tree of life was a tree in the garden of eden obviously because it said that but like what did it do like what is that what is that f like what was its purpose because we know the tree of good and the knowledge of good and evil like cursed adam and eve but, like, what did the tree of life do for them? Obviously, like, when you talk about life, I mean, I, it would give them life, probably. And that's probably, like, their their obedience to eat of all the trees. That this tree would give them life everlasting, if not just life in general. Um, I mean, if you don't eat, you die, so... Uh, I had a good reference here I was going to look at, but in, uh, like where, where, like you see in the, the garden of Eden is guarded by an, some cherub and some angels with a, a flaming sword. It's like, okay. Like they can't go back to the tree of life anymore. It's like, where is it now? Well, the Bible says, I, I know in revelation, I think it says somewhere else that the trees of paradise or the trees of Eden are in paradise so like what does that mean a lot like a lot of people say okay and like the tree of life is actually in paradise right now which normally paradise will either be like heaven or in abraham's bosom which is like in old testament time that would be the comforted side of the center of the earth or hell where paradise is that's like where the uh those that are right with God, the, the righteous are on the comforted side of hell and there's a chasm and hell, the, the tortured side of hell is on the other side. But we see the tree of life make a, a reprise or reprise in the end times after a thousand year reign of Christ on earth when God brings down the new Jerusalem and it's an everlasting kingdom. Revelation 22 says, I think it's in verse 1, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, crystal or clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
and in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of, tr of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. So, like, each month there's, like, a new fruit. Like, variety. <laughs> and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And uh, then it jumped down in verse 14. It says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, and that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. So, like, they... In this... In the future kingdom, the everlasting kingdom, once all is said and done, and... Uh, Satan is bound, or not bound, but cast in the lake of fire. And all death is cast into the lake of fire. And then there's this everlasting kingdom. Then, like, everyone that, that's there has the right to the tree of life. Um, and uh, I'm not going to get too much into, like, what the kingdom looks like, but or what the New Jerusalem looks like. But there's the tree of life in in there. And obviously it brings forth fruit of all kinds, which sounds pretty good to me. Um, Does the tree of knowledge of good and evil come back to play a part? Or is that just done and dusted? Yeah, I don't think it's going to come back. <laughs> Revelation doesn't talk about that. Um, I think it played its part and it was probably cursed maybe it was the cursed fig tree no <laughs> i'm glad you brought the cursed fig tree story up because i think a lot of people find that story bewildering a little bit uh, some people think you know i've heard people say why was jesus so angry at this fig tree <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people will like put like their human qualities to Jesus and like, oh, he was so angry. He was like, nah, curse you fig tree. Like he wasn't like, like cursing the fig tree. Like, oh, I hate you for not giving me food. But he was give he was showing it one as simply like, hey, like you're going to have the power to do this. But when you look at like what fig trees were supposed to be representing their, their religious identity you saw it was not bearing fruit. And when you bear fruit, you are making use and good of what you're supposed to be doing. Um, I mean, you know, the, Paul talks about the, the fruits of the Spirit. And if you're not showing any of those fruits, if you're not giving any of those fruits off, then it's prob you're probably not in the right place. And at the time, Israel was not in the right place religiously for them to be close to God and um, showing them, okay, you're, they're fruitless. It, it's all for not, it's all dying. It's, it's dying. So he cursed it like, Hey, you're not giving fruit. You're cursed. And it withered away. Um, which you can see prophetically that that took place as well. Um, but Jesus does talk about him being the true vine and, uh, and, Israel, like the true Israel being the branch, um, like a, a branch from the true vine. Uh, but also, like I found, I, I thought it was interesting with him talking about him being the true vine. Um, uh, I don't even remember where this reference was, but it talks about in the Old Testament, it talks about him uh, uh, being the branch. Like it was a title. It said, and speak unto him saying, thus speak. 
speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. And the branch is like, in the King James Bible, it's all capitalized, like every single letter is capitalized, the branch. Uh, some place, in some places it's called the branch of Jesse, um, which is like the lineage uh, of the the Messiah, basically. Um, and then Jesus says, I am the true vine. Um, John 15 talks about that. And I was going to pull that up real quick while I still have time. Uh, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Uh, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. So fruitless being cast out and being... Uh, being cursed and every branch that beareth fruit he purgeth it and it, that it may bring more fruit bring forth more fruit so you know you take away the fruit you prune it and it's supposed to give more fruit out like that's just like the horticulture of of trees of fruit um, now ye are clean through the word which i have spoken unto you abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abide, abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. And he talks about, um, he keeps talking, this is one of his parables, he talks about the, the, the withered branch being cast into fire and being burned, and, you know, he talks a lot about this branch, and then he, ultimately he, says, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. No greater man hath, or no love hath no man, or greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid day, a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends. If ye do whatever, whatsoever I command you. So that was Jesus talking to his disciples and Israel about being a branch. So basic, like trees in Christianity, that's basically it. <laughs> I'm going to, I could go on quite a while about trees more, but I'm going to keep it there. Yeah. Um, a lot of that is pretty much what I expected. I did not realize the tree of, of life would come back and play a part. Oh yeah. I've heard, kinda cool. I've heard some lengthy sermons about that and the 12 months, you know, 12 is a big number in in the kingdom so trees in christianity you kind of know about that like a lot of people know about those I th i'm pretty sure tolkien got his two trees of the valar from those two trees in the garden of eden too so that, that makes sense yeah so but like i have some idea of what where buddhism is going with trees but yeah but like you asked me what i would what i was anticipating and what do you what what are you anticipating what so i know the the bodhi tree um, and that was like the tree that the Buddha was sitting under when he was enlightened or whatever. Um, and that's pretty much it. I have one question for you that I'm going to grill you with after, after you get done with your spiel. Cause I have a, I have some questions for you, mister. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's start this off. We don't have like a creation of trees like you guys did, um, with the day tree, but <clears throat> um, the biggest, so I would say it's pretty interesting seeing what, how trees play out in Christianity and the, 
the superficial similarities, um, fig trees, big part of it, big, big part of it. You see fig trees playing huge roles in Buddhism. Hmm. And, and you also mentioned mustard seeds. It's kind of interesting because mustard seeds play a part in the Buddha's sermons uh, sometimes. Hmm. So it's, it's really interesting, the, the kind of crossover. The, the vegetable crossover. Um, <laughs> but trees play more than anything symbolic roles and uh, roles in simile. And I will kind of touch on some of the ones that came to mind. But first, trees play a humongous part in the life of the Buddha. Um, and you're right. The Bodhi tree. And I'll get to that. But let's go back to the beginning of the Buddha's last human incarnation when he was born. So tradition tells the story of the Buddha's birth with his mother, Maya, giving birth to him under a tree. And the tradition says the the tree even lowered one of its branches so that she could grasp onto it with her right hand. And... This brings us to the Bodhi tree. Uh, you know, fast forward 30-some years in the Buddha's life. He sits down under a, a fig tree, um, a, a specific fig tree that, because of its role in Buddhism, has, be, has gained the scientific name of Ficus religiosa. And so... He sits down under the tree and says he's not going to get a, get up until he gains enlightenment. Uh, several days go by and he gains enlightenment. And the Bodhi tree has become a symbol of Buddhism ever since. Uh, there's a, tree, a Bodhi tree in Bodh Gaya in India that is probably the biggest buddhist pilgrimage site ever Mm. um there are several but this one uh really um this one really takes the cake so um whoa yeah so is that the bodhi tree so or is that the probably not um but people are very adamant that it is a descendant of the bodhi tree Hmm. but it's this ginormous tree They've built a temple pretty much around it. Um, and you, from what I understand, you can go there, you can sit under it. I think they've built platforms for you to like, you know, kind of a, a deck almost. Um, but, it, you know, just, I mean, when you see pictures of it, the, the, the branches are they're just spilling over these, these kind of protective barriers, walls that they've built. And there's a huge temple next to it, too. And, um, I've heard that it's like, you can't touch it or anything, but it's a big, a big to do to go there during a certain season when the leaves start to fall and you'll see monks, children, adults running around collecting the leaves falling. And the leaves are really remarkable too. They're like this, this heart shape, pointy, pointy end and like the lobes come together, but they're heart shaped and I don't know if if they intentionally did it like this, but the only 
I've only seen an act, an actual leaf from the tree once in my life, and it is such a fragile looking leaf. It mm. looks like lace. I don't know if it was because it was an old leaf and it's lost a lot of its substance. But, oh yeah. Um. So you see that a lot, but no, it is not the. It is not the same. The same Bodhi tree. Um, there are also traditions of cuts of the Bodhi tree being taken to Sri Lanka, where I think I'm. I'm not sure if they have an extant Bodhi tree there, but I think probably many cuts of a Bodhi tree has spread uh, throughout the Buddhist countries early on. Um, but so the Bodhi tree is just absolutely one of the most important, biggest trees in, in Buddhism. Um, but it's not the only tree. So when it came time, you know, he gains enlightenment, he teaches, and then it came time for his Parinibbana or his final liberation. And this happens at the time of death. And the story goes, he, was in, I think, Kushinagara. And he had eaten something that had gone bad. And he, you know, he was just really, really, really sick. And he knew his time was coming. And he had his disciples carry him to a grove of Sala trees. And Sala trees have this... These like remarkable flowers. Um, you'll have to Google them. I don't have a picture of them, but they're these amazing, amazing flowers. And but they weren't blooming in the season in which he was dying. But he laid down, gave one last sermon, and according to tradition, the the solid trees started raining down flowers on them. Hmm. And so there were. He was born under a tree. He gained enlightenment, enlightenment under a tree, and he died under trees. So trees play a huge role, huge role. Um, hmm. You know that that reminded me of something, like how he died under a tree, and I just remembered a reference of in the Bible about uh, Jesus being crucified on a tree. And, like, usually you don't think of the cross as, like, a tree. Yeah. But really, like, when it comes down to, like, the realistic expectations of where to get the wood big enough for that, that you would usually, like, use, like, a tree log. Like yeah, a log like from a felt tree. Yeah, like yeah. an entire tree. And, uh, yeah, it talks about in Galatians 3 how... Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, as it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And, like, that tree is that cross. And that just reminded me of, like, oh, yeah, there is that tree aspect in Christ's <laughs> death as well. <laughs> wow. And I did look up that Sala flower um, from the tree. That's pretty cool looking. That's really yeah. unique. It's Yeah, it is really unique. Um, <clears throat> And that's... I would say that's the the most iconic trees that are played out in Buddhist stories. Um, but Buddhist Buddhism, uh, the Buddha taught 
using a lot of metaphors and similes and imagery and trees are no exception. Um, first of all, like from a practical standpoint, the Buddha usually suggested finding the shelter of a tree as a place to practice, as a place to meditate. And uh, in the monastic tradition, he, uh, when it came to shelter, he said that no monk, no bhikkhu should, should anticipate any shelter any more than the, at the base of a tree. I mean, granted, hmm. lay people would donate monasteries and everything and they, and you know, monks could stay there, could live there for a time, but they should not expect anything more than living, you know, sleeping under the base of a tree. Like that's their base, their bare, you know, maximum expectation. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> but here come the metaphors. Hmm. So probably one of the most iconic uh, similes relating to trees that the Buddha offers is one that comes out of the Sangyutta Nikaya or the Connected Discourses, one of the books in the Sutta Pitaka. Um, and he, and it's titled, I don't know if this is the actual title of the, of the Sutta, but this is probably say this to any well-read Buddhist and they'll know exactly what you're talking about. A handful of leaves. And I think even, uh, I think it was Tenisaro Bhikkhu uh, published an anthology of many of the suttas under the name A Handful of Leaves. So you'll understand why. So the Buddha <clears throat> uh, was walking through a forest with his, with his bhikkhus, with his monks, and he picks up a handful of leaves. And he says, uh, so he says, how do you conceive this, monks? Which is more, the leaves, the few leaves that I've picked up in my hand or those in all the trees in the woods? And they're like, obviously, the leaves in your hands are few. The trees have way more leaves. And he said, so too, the things that I have known by direct knowledge are more. The things I have told you are only a few. And he says, why have I not told you them? Because they bring no benefit, no advancement in holy life. And because they do not lead to dispassion, to fading, ceasing, stilling, direct knowledge, enlightenment, and nibbana. And so, what he, what in short, what he's, what he has taught his disciples and his, and his followers, the the small handful of leaves with what he has, you know, what he has experienced, what he knows. The handful of leaves is basically the four noble truths. He says, "This is this is suffering, the origin of suffering, the cessation of suffering, and the way leading to the cessation of suffering. The four noble truths." And he's like, "I'm teaching you this because this is what leads you to dispassion, to fading, to ceasing, to direct knowledge, to enlightenment." And so. This is like an, an extraordinarily famous sutta because it illustrates that the the teachings he gives us is is what we need to reach enlightenment. You know, once you gain enlightenment, you're going to learn a lot more. You're going to learn a whole forest worth of leaves. 
but what we need right now are just a handful. And so, obviously, trees, leaves. He, hmm. uses, he uses trees as metaphors in, in many, many ways. Um, and I have a few more examples to share uh, in the Maj- in the Majjhima Nikaya, uh, thirty and thirty-one. Both the thirty is the greater, and thirty-one is the lesser discourses of the heartwood. And he describes a tree, and he describes uh, a person looking for heartwood. the the hard The hardened wood at the center of the tree, and he pa- he finds leaves, but these aren't. This isn't heartwood. He finds twigs and branches he finds the the bark the inner bark the sapwood and he's asking the person he's talking to in the uh, sutta um that well he's he's describing that there is an ultimate goal of the practice of holy life and that is the heartwood there are benefits to the holy life which are the leaves the twigs the branches the the bark but if one if 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 one only stops at the leaves and the bark, they'll never get to the heartwood, which he describes the heartwood. The ultimate goal is the unshakable deliverance of mind. And, you know, he will, he will describe other benefits to the practice, but none of those are the heartwood. And that's where you should like, that's where you should place your focus for the, for the practice, the holy life. Um, and there's another one. And I mean, he uses them in all sorts of different metaphors in the Anguter, in the Anguter Nikaya, the book of, what is it? The book of fours. He says there are four kinds of trees, softwood surrounded by softwood, softwood surrounded by hardwood, hardwood surrounded by softwood and hardwood surrounded by hardwood. And he relates these to different type of different type of people of varying ethical atmospheres. So there's unethical people surrounded by unethical people. Um, well, like an, an unethical person surrounded by unethical followers, unethic, unethical person followed by surrounded by ethical followers and so on and so on. Hmm. So hardwood surrounded by hardwood is ethical person surrounded by ethical followers. Um, just a, an interesting uh, offering from the Buddha's teachings. Hmm. Uh, and then he also, there's also one about uh, from the, I can't, Nguru Nikaya as well. Maybe it's the Sangyuta Nikaya where he talks about you know, trees have roots. So he uses the idea of roots as... Um, very, very appropriately uh, talks about three unskillful roots uh, being greed, hate, and delusion, and how the trees might react to that, uh, <laughs> um, and then relates to three uh, skillful roots, which I think he says contentment. Contentment, love, and understanding. And 
describes it. And so I, I think the idea of roots, and he also talks about trees being wrapped up in, in, in these like deadly vines and goes on to relate that to other, uh, you know, ethics, I think. Yeah, he he ties it to ethics. And so a tree or a person wrapped up in unethical vines will wither away, won't bear fruit, etc. And so he talks about cutting the vines off, cutting them in pieces, burning them, throwing the ash. And so you can see he is he he likes to use imagery in describing just very varying teachings using the tree as a as a, a metaphor and this practice of using the tree as a metaphor as a simile carries on into modern day um and i thought it was based off of a, a sutta but i guess maybe not but there's a contemporary book by, uh, I think he's from the Thai forest tradition, uh, appropriately. Um, Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu wrote a, a great book called Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree. So there's a whole book based around the idea of a tree from a Buddhist perspective. <laughs> um, and this is really cool because he talks about this concept of shunyata, which is emptiness, um, in Mahayana and Vajrayana, it most popularly is translated as emptiness. But this is from a Theravada perspective, and he points out that sunyata actually means voidness of self and uses this brilliant, brilliant metaphor of the Bodhi tree because the Bodhi tree has no heartwood. It's empty of heartwood and relates this to how the self is or what we think is the self is actually empty of selfness. So I just thought it was a, a, a brilliant move on his part to use this metaphor of, well, you see this, the, the ficus religiosa has no heartwood to speak of. So it's a perfect, perfect reflection of the, the self. Um, wow. Yeah. And the last thing I wanted to point out is another modern, relatively modern, contemporary uh, thing involving trees. It's, it doesn't have anything to do with teachings or anything, but it's this great kind of this combination of Buddhist practice and environmentalism in the South Southeast Asian countries, primarily, I think, Thailand, uh, there was a lot of deforestation happening and in a, in a great, great moment of nonviolent resistance, the monks went out into the forest and started ordaining trees and tying saffron robes around the trunks of the trees, symbolically ordaining them as monks, <laughs> effectively making them sacred. And who in the world would be, you know, brave enough to cut down a monastic tree, right? <laughs> and 
it it was just such such a smart smart move to make um because you know trees can't become monks but the symbolism especially in a cultural like cultural standpoint in thailand that's that's hugely powerful there's a huge like monastic culture in thailand hmm. and the you know whoever the the logging industries I don't think would dare to cut down trees that had monk robes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, and I thought it was such a brilliant move and obviously on topic with trees. Yeah. No and it's, it's such a, such a amazing act of nonviolent resistance. Hmm. Like you don't see that all that, all that often anymore. Uh, using using it that effectively especially such a smart move just <laughs> using your resources monks have almost nothing but robes and that those robes have power yeah apparently um so trees can't become monks no they cannot can with with like rebirth into another reincarnation of life can you become a tree so technically no um when you look at the traditional cosmology of how the planes of existence work in buddhism there's the human realm there's animals ghosts hell realms uh and deva realms and plant life is not classified as sentient life in Buddhism. However, there are devas within the deva realms. There are different types of spirits. And I think traditionally there are spirits who inhabit trees. And sometimes you see that in the suttas, Um, you know, a, a disciple or the Buddha is walking and a spirit of the tree or something will come out and start talking to them or scare them or something. Um, and, or try to scare them. So no, a tree, a tree spirit might be able to, you know, be reborn as a human and practice the Dharma. Um, but a tree itself cannot. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, that reminded me of like, I've heard before from certain preachers in my circles, like there are spirits behind everything. There's a spirit behind everything, not necessarily like ghostly spirits or angelic spirits, but there's a spirit that works behind everything. And um, that made me think of what this one um, passage, I don't have it offhand, but it talks about like when, like when Christ returns, uh, the rocks will cry out. Um, like there's like a spirit, like there's a spirit like in the rocks of, uh, it, just in creation in general, like it speaks to creation groaning because of the fallen nature of, of mankind and the world and how like it just yearns to be, to be, uh, saved from that. And, like for with his return the rocks will cry out and uh 
and the trees will clap their hands and like you know there's you imagine like trees you know like breezing in the wind and you can hear their leaves and everything um so that kind of uh made me think of that trying to connect dots along with that kind (laughs) of a reach but um, you know and this is a little off topic from trees but like the whole idea of like spirits crying out like from the rocks and stuff uh or the rocks crying out um reminds me of a lot of times in buddhist stories you get very dramatic moments like when the buddha gained enlightenment he was you know he was in a battle with mara who is the embodiment of our defilements and our craving and it was all you know inter- an internal battle but depicted as this big monumental battle and at the end he the last fetter that he had to destroy was was doubt and mara was accusing him like who are you of all people to gain enlightenment like what and what the buddha did was touch the ground it's like the earth is my witness to this and in stories like this at that moment or at the moment of his death the earth trembled and there's a great you know a great earthquake and Hmm. and i think usually devas i think devas like came down and watched this happen and they you know probably cried out or something but yeah that's akin to uh the when jesus died on the cross there was darkness over the earth for several hours and when he died there was an earthquake um so that reminded me yeah it's not really regarding trees or anything but yeah that that's interesting Um, i did i did have a few tidbits of trees that i remembered like in when noah was building his ark god told him to use gopher wood which is like a literal translate like transliteration from the hebrew no one knows what gopher wood is um there's a baptist joke that do you know why he used gopher wood because god said gopher wood (laughs) um and then i saw that coming yeah yeah (laughs) yeah um there's also like uh uh, like the ark of the covenant was made out of shittim wood i'm not exactly sure what kind of tree that comes from but there's like just a, a different types of wood that that is used in the bible and i did real quick i did find a the reference that i was thinking of when it comes to um the trees of eden um, in Ezekiel, it talks about in thirty-one sixteen, and I made the nations to shake at the sound of his fall when I cast him down to hell with them that descend into the pit and all the trees of Eden, the choice and the best of Lebanon, all that drink water shall be comforted in the nether parts of the earth. And then two verses down, it says again about like the trees of Eden in the nether parts of the earth. Um, and then Revelation uh, talks about like the trees being in the midst of paradise uh, the trees of Eden being in the midst of paradise. So like that kind of speaks to like what happened to the garden of Eden. Um, it sounds like it descended into a pit into the center of the earth, uh, according to Ezekiel. So just hmm. kind of an interesting tidbit. Yeah. 
Any anything else regarding trees? Money doesn't grow on them. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, no, I although speaking of money growing on trees, I think I've seen this in a lot of traditional Theravada cultures um where one might rely on monks to do like spiritual practices like uh whether it be like uh funeral ceremony or something and a lot of customary uh dana or donations uh they give to the monks will be these little ornamental trees where they hang dollar bills um so money on trees <laughs> wow that proves me wrong <laughs> speaking of money guys we don't ask for any so i'm not going to say where to send money to because we don't have any don't no don't send it we don't want more income to report but um, you can send us emails at baptistandbuddhist at gmail.com. Or you can send us messages on, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Instagram. Uh, you, you know, comment and everything on YouTube if you want. Give us reviews on these podcast apps and everything else. Um, and you know what? I'm going to write this down, too. We were talking about rocks and stuff. Let's do an episode on stones. <laughs> We're going to do every matter that we can think of. <laughs> Cloth is coming, too. Cloth. Cloth. Yes. <laughs> we will do a cloth episode. And where does cloth come from? Plants, like trees. So that's the next episode is cloth. Woo. We're going we're gonna to make it happen. <laughs> the thrilling world of cloth. You are listening to the Baptist and the Buddhist talking about cloth. The cloth edition. <laughs> the one you've been waiting for. <laughs> Hold on to your pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! This is going to be a great episode, guys. And that episode's not going to be cut from the same cloth as everything else. So yeah, it might be a little threadbare, but we'll see. We'll get through it. <laughs> we'll rip through it. So um, burst at the seams with information. No kidding. It's going to be ridiculous. Um, I'm going to have so many, so many references to texts and textiles. <laughs> I'll stop. <laughs> we'll, we'll, you know, we'll weave something up together and we'll still try to leave it shrouded in, in <laughs> anticipation. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, well... Just guys. wait for it to be unveiled. <laughs> oh, this might tear us in two. <laughs> okay, well, that's your teaser for the next episode, then. We're going to make this... It's actually going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> can't oh, wait. I can't believe it. We're running out of ideas. <laughs> Speaking of ideas, give us ideas, guys. Um, and actually, this is one of our better ideas, so... <laughs> <laughs> so if you want more from us we want to hear from you we want your input and give us some like really good throw us a bone please i mean we have quite a bit of ideas coming but like we want to hear what you want to hear like what yeah. in the world do you want to hear what do you want to hear do you have an opinion on cloth yeah exactly what's your favorite rock like give us some ideas
Rocks are cool, though. (laughs) (laughs) Coming up, Baptists and Buddhists, talk about colors. Oh, that would actually be a really good one, too. I'm going to write that down. (laughs) Dude, this is going to be so good, guys. We're going to break down everything. (laughs) Everything. Numbers. Letters. Smells. Smells, yeah. Smells, sounds. Actually, we did it sounds already. It's music, but whatever. Anyways, I will stop rambling. Thank you guys for watching and listening. And until next time, see you later. This has been... Oh, yeah. This has been the Baptist... And the Buddhist. With Mark... And Brian. And we will see you guys later. Bye-bye.